Let's get our Bibles out open to 1 Corinthians 12. Now, as you know, we're in a series forming our faith family in the gospel. And we're looking at uh, this section of 1 Corinthians, which will take us through uh, chapter 14, verses, uh, chapters 12 through 14. And this is a very uh, wonderful passage, wonderful place. Uh, complex in many ways, but that's good, in good ways. And so uh, maybe we have to work a little bit harder, uh, but it's, the rewards are greater. And so we can be grateful for the opportunity before us. That is page 1320. If you're without a copy of Scripture, you can just grab that hardback pew Bible in front of you and turn to 1320. I want you to think about this, if you have your listening guide. I want you to think about this truth as we get started this morning. I want you to think about how what God's been showing us is how He's put us together and how as a family, we're far more complex than we oftentimes think that we are. And so we've been uniquely designed, each of us uniquely designed, but uniformly purposed. God, our wonderful creator God, has so created not only the world in which we live in, but his image bearers in which he's populated that world with such diversity and such creativity that you can't think about it for long without it really just overwhelming you. And he's done that and made it even more beautiful in the body of Christ, in the church. And yet in all of that diversity, he's called us to this uniform purpose together. And this is what this section of 1 Corinthians is talking about. And it is unique in all of the world. There is no other, there's nothing else on earth like the local church, when it functions in a healthy way. It truly is the hope of the world. All right, let's pray, and then we'll study this passage together. Father, in so many ways, by so many things, we are shackled. We, we overlook, maybe we don't realize, we don't know, we don't seek and so oftentimes, Lord, if we're not careful, we can miss so many of the wonder and, and spectacular things that you have put before us, Lord, that you've made available to us. God, I pray this morning that you will open up our hearts, that you might captivate us, Lord, by the power of your Spirit through ears that you give us to hear from you. God, fill us with a desire to walk in the truth that you lay before us and to experience all that you intended for us, God. You are a wonderful, loving Father, and we are grateful, so grateful this morning to be sons and daughters. Thank you for this time. Thank you for each one here. God, may this be a time where we hear from you, where we're encouraged by you, and, Lord, where you are ultimately glorified by that which is 
changed in us because of this time. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to begin in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12. Look at the first two verses. For as the body is one, this is where we left off last week, and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Now, let's think about this for a second. What God has just said, and yet what we so oftentimes experience and live, can be as far separated as the east is from the west. In other words, if I say to you this morning, if I say just be who you are, God wants you to be who you are, it can, it can feel like a like a wonderful freeing thing. It can feel like this beautiful opportunity if you know who you are. But if you don't know who you are, then that statement is a little bit terrifying. It's a little bit uh, disconcerting. It, you see, it's so easy to walk through this life and not know who you are. And what Paul wants us to hear this morning is that in order for the church to function effectively, but, but it's more than that. It's, this is the, the truth of the matter is, is that none of us in this room, me included, this is what God's shown me this week. I really don't have any idea. I don't have any idea of the potential that this church has. I can't, I don't have the capacity to understand and imagine what would happen if we all in one accord aligned ourselves with what God's going to say to us this morning. That's just the truth. But in order for us to even be effective, for us to even function, we have to be filled with people. This church has to be filled with people who know who they are. Because people in the body who don't know who they are, that's what 1 Corinthians is just screaming. Not only do they personally miss everything that God has, but we, all the people around them, miss everything that God has because they don't know who they are. All right, so let's start reading in verse 14. Watch how this goes. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? 
If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think are less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the parts which lack it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. You see, here's what's going on in Corinth. The, the way to understand the problem, in essence, is, is that there, there's gift envy. That's the problem that's happening. And it's very understandable because human nature is to constantly search for something special about ourselves. That's our nature. We, we want something that we can boast in. We want something. We desperately want to find something that we're good at, something that we feel confidence in, something that other people, uh, you know, uh, see and, and uh, admire about us. All of us have this in us. And so life in a fallen world becomes a constant competition, does it not? And so we're competing, whether it be for looks or for skill or for achievement or whatever it is. And we're drawn into this whole world. And this is what's happening with the Corinthians. They've simply brought spiritual gifts into the economy of the world that they brought into the church, which is oftentimes what happens to us today. And so when it comes to what's going on in the church, they, well, they had the complete wrong focus. The complete wrong focus. Let me show you something. In Luke chapter 10, there's a passage of Scripture that I'm sure many of you are very familiar with. I'll put it up on the screen. And this is when Jesus sent out the 70. He gathered 70 of his disciples together and he sent them out. And they came back and they were just overjoyed. And they said, Lord, even the demons were subject to us. They were so excited about the things that had happened. And then this is what Jesus said in response to them. He said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now that's interesting, isn't it? See, evidently, according to what Jesus just said, what was happening inside the disciples was more important to Jesus than anything that they had accomplished on the outside. You see that? It's not that what was happening out there wasn't amazing. It was. But Jesus pointed them to that which is more amazing. Now listen, how easy is it for us to miss focus? 
and to get in the same. To be all focused on the wrong things or not on the best thing. To think that effectiveness in the church is all about what we're accomplishing in ministry when really all that we're accomplishing in ministry is based on what God is accomplishing internally. You see, an identity crisis in the church leads to a mission crisis of the church. What happens to a church when it starts struggling with identity crisis is the mission gets subverted. They become busy in doing things. Now listen, you, you think about that passage that, uh, where, uh, from Luke where Jesus was straightening out the understanding of the disciples. Then think about in Matthew chapter 7 when many people come to Jesus and say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do this and didn't we do this? All, all operations of ministry in the church. You got that? Everything that they're claiming that they did were ministries of the church. And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. You are a worker of lawlessness. All the, everything they claimed was work in the church, ministry work in the church. But they neglected the internal. They had neglected what God was doing in them. They were completely focused only on what they were doing externally. So let's look at this for a second. I want us to see this morning three things. Number one, that we're united in one spirit. Now, we touched on this last week, but it's so critical to understand how this works. The biggest mistake we could make would be to come in here and start having a conversation about all these spiritual gifts and how they function today or don't function today or this, that, or the other, which is what everyone always does, and they miss the whole point, which we will have that conversation but not until we've laid the groundwork that we need to in order to have it in a productive way. Notice verse 13 again. But by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, so we were immersed, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink. So we've been immersed in and it's been indwelt, right? We said that last week. That should be underlined in your Bible. Now, this being true... What did Jesus rely on when he was out doing ministry? When he was out casting out demons and doing miracles and all the things that he did? How, what did he, how did he do that? In other words, I think a lot of times here's what we think. Well, he didn't rely on anything because he's God. Well, he is God. But what does the Bible teach us about this? In other words, when you come across a verse like Luke chapter 2, verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, how do you sort that out in your mind? How does God increase in wisdom? How is that possible? 
If he's God, how does he increase in wisdom? You see, the Bible's trying to get us to see something about Jesus, and I'm hoping that this morning the light bulb is really going to come on brightly, and we're all going to be able to see clearly why this is. How is it possible for God to grow in wisdom? Well, it's possible because he purposely and very, very intentionally limited his godness for a very specific reason. See, when you read the Bible... What you see is Jesus doing all these amazing things. Jesus overcoming temptation. Doing miracles. He knows what other people are thinking. He he does all of these amazing things. And the Bible tells us how he does them. Luke especially goes out of his way. In the gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. To make sure that we get this. Look I'll show you a few verses. In Luke chapter 4, right after Jesus was baptized, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. You see how intentional Luke is? Twice in one statement he wants us to know that it's the Spirit. Okay, Then later on in the same chapter, Jesus, the first time Jesus teaches publicly, he goes into the synagogue. It's his first time publicly teaching. And the Bible says, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach to the poor. And he has sent me to heal the broken heart to the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover sight to the blind and set the liberty to those who are oppressed and proclaim that the acceptable year of the Lord. Hmm. You're starting to see like a pattern here, maybe, possibly. Let's get it even more clear. What about Luke chapter 5, verse 17? Now it happened on a certain day when he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Look at what it says. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Jesus is there Jesus is teaching, and Luke says, but the power of God to heal them is present. What's Luke trying to get us to see? What about John chapter 14? Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Now, top ten verses that have caused more trouble, mixed up more people, and got more people into heresy, that's on the list for sure. What does that mean? You got people running around. Listen, so greater works than I, you will do? So, what, greater than feeding 5,000 people with a sack lunch? Greater than commanding the wind and the waves to obey? Greater than raising dead people uh, to life? You know what kind of lunatics that produces? 
greater than saving the world? Come on, think about it. Hmm. What, what, what is Jesus saying? What, is, what, what am I getting at here? Listen. Clearly, the Bible wants us to know Jesus accomplished ministry through the Holy Spirit. That's how he accomplished ministry. The Bible tells us that over and over. And then when he comes along and says, greater things you're going to do, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. This is what he's talking about. Not greater in action, greater in extent. I mean, obviously, you are going to become a total wacko if you don't get this. I mean, I have heard people say, I'm just like going, are you kidding me right now? Because instead of, listen, that verse is simply an explanation of what Jesus is going to say two chapters later in John chapter 16 when he has a whole conversation about the Holy Spirit. He's just, I mean, it's so clear. Instead of the Holy Spirit resting only on Jesus, it's going to spread out. He's going to spread out and indwell all of his followers. So no individual follower is going to do greater things than Jesus did. But we collectively are going to have a far greater, are going to reach a far greater extent. You see? Now, did God, did Jesus need to lean on the Holy Spirit to do miraculous works? No. Did he have to? No. The Bible also, interestingly enough, goes out of its way to remind us of all the times Jesus has the power to just do whatever he wants to do, but doesn't use it. Have you ever thought about that? Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? You know, here they are, you know, they come in here, we're going to arrest you. And the Bible just wants you to know, like, yeah, only because he's going to let you. But he doesn't use it. So it's not, that, it's not that Jesus doesn't have the power. It's that he intentionally and specifically leans on the Spirit. Why? Because the conversation we're having right now wouldn't make any sense if he didn't. This is what he's trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. You see, what, what the Bible wants us to understand is that a church filled with people who know who they are is more powerful than a church that has Jesus as the pastor only. That's what the Bible's saying. Jesus is saying, listen, this is how I did ministry. This is how I taught my disciples to do ministry. This is how you do ministry. The same way. The same way. That's why we said two weeks ago, I said, listen, the days with the greatest potential in 2022 are the days that we come together as a family. 
Now you're starting to see how all this goes together. This is what the Bible teaches. This is the point. So we're united by one spirit. Then number two, into one body. United in one spirit, into one body. Look at verse 25 and following. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. You see, here's the key. The key is the Bible doesn't just want you to know that you're one or the other. You have to understand that you're both. And you have to see how they fit together. Which is why God chose to use the metaphor of the body. That you're, we are one body, yet each members. So we have to embrace both of those realities. We have to... We have to embrace the fact that we, we cannot exist without being interconnected. But we also have to take responsibility for the function of our part. You see? It has to work this way. And if it doesn't, well, the world today bears evidence of what happens. See, when each part does its part, People take notice and believe. That's what we see in the Scripture. What we see in the Scripture, because if you think about it, as you're reading through the Gospels and Jesus is doing all of these amazing things and we have all these red letters and it's, and it's so awe-inspiring and so compelling and so amazing and yet when you get to the book of Acts and the red letters disappear, what happens? The results increase exponentially how many people were huddled up in the upper room scared with the door locked waiting for the Holy Spirit to come 120 the members indwelt with the Spirit start functioning as the body, and the very first time they proclaim Christ, 5,000 people are saved. You understand? That's, that's what Jesus means. Greater things you'll do. That's what that means. That's it illustrated right there. You see, the, the, the church historically has lost its way so many times in so many ways. And we have to be so careful because we can't, we can't sit here this morning and think that, well, you know, we're not going to make the same mistakes that people made in the past. Well, why wouldn't we if we got to be careful? It's easy to do. It's easy if we're not careful to fall into the trap of thinking that the church is a building. It's a place that we come to. 
It is not a building. It is not a place that we come to. It is a movement. It is a living body that moves. And when it moves correctly, when it functions in a healthy way, it is the most unstoppable force on earth. You see, this, this is what I'm saying. You're like, well, I'm not sure that I've ever thought of the church as a, as a building. Well, now hold on a second. What would be the evidence that that might be true? The evidence that that might be true would be that if you've ever come to a church and never found your place in the church, then you've never found your purpose. Never. You see, the way God designed Christianity is that, we see, we love the fact that, you know, God has a purpose for your life. God, God, has, a, God has something for you. We love that. But here's what we miss. The only way that you can figure out what that is, is in the church. It's the only way. You can sit at home and study your Bible for a thousand years and you'll never know. You will never know. See, look at, look at verse 24. But God composed the body. You see that? Having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. In other words, so God did that. He puts it together. He gives greater honor to that which lacks. In other words, he, look, God puts it together. He composes it. And there's all these different parts. And on face value, face value, <clears throat> not all the parts look the same. I mean, as far as in value. Because the thing is, it's easy for us to say, well, every, you know, because if I say, well, which part of your body's not that valuable? Like, if you got to lose a part, which part are you going to give up? Well, then it's like, well, I mean, suddenly all the little parts start getting valuable at that moment, right? But, but it's more than that. It's that when God composes the body, let's just be honest. Some of, the, some of the members that God puts together in the body, they're kind of misfit. Here's what I'm trying to say. We got people that are part of this church, and they're just kind of wacky. I mean, they're out there, man. There's some folks in this church that are you know, they're just different. Just how God wanted them to be. And God composed it. And here's what he did. He gave, he gave greater honor to that which lacked it. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how he does this. See, you, gotta, you, you realize how spectacular the Bible is when you just walk verse by verse through it, don't you? Yeah. 
You really, you're, you're sitting there, some of you are realizing like all the way back in chapter 1, when Paul said, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and here we are, it's all starting to take full circle. All these things that happened in the gospel, now they're starting to, it's all the pieces are starting to come together. You see that? Every detail, exactly the way God wants it to be. He composes the body in ways that we can't even comprehend. And I get to see it all the time. And so do you. A couple of weeks ago, well, a couple of months ago, well, I don't know, you know, a few months ago. Uh, it was a Monday. I woke up Monday morning and I had a burden on my heart for a family in the church. I, could, I just woke up and I knew, okay, so I got up and uh, I knew they were in a, in a valley going through a hard time. I'd been praying for them, but this was different. It was like, nope, today. So I called their, I didn't call them, I called their small group leader, their community group leader, and I said, hey, uh, you know, they got a loved one in the hospital, and I don't really know all the details of what's going on, but, I, but God's really put urgency in my heart. We need to, so I really think that um, their community needs to surround them today. So the community group leader gets on the whatever they do, gets on the text, and starts getting everybody together. And then uh, the next thing I know, there's, he calls me back and says, look, uh, half the group is going to meet up there and pray it in the afternoon, and the other half of the community is going to go up there and pray with the family um, that evening, like 5 o'clock, something like that. I said, okay. So <clears throat> me and Lisa go up there at 5 o'clock or whatever it was in the afternoon to pray, and so we're there, and, you know, there was probably, I don't mean, you know, some of you were there. There's probably... 25, 30 people in the circle. I mean, I got emotional when I was praying. I got emotional. And, you know, so we're there and we're just trying to be an encouragement and asking God to help us. And it was wonderful. And then I'm at Memorial. And so we're done. And, you know, I tell everybody, you know, goodbye. God bless you. And me and Lisa get in the car. I crank up the truck. And I literally drive 10 seconds down the road, and my phone rings. And the voice on the other end of the phone says, Hey, I think my wife just had a stroke. And I said, Where are you? And he said, We're en route to Memorial. Now, I'm at Memorial. So I said, Okay, I'll meet you there. And I hung up the phone, and I pulled over, and my mind is racing. And so as I'm turning around, I think, wait a minute. We have a doctor in that is an ER doc in Memorial, so let me text her and see if she's working. And even as I'm doing that, I'm thinking to myself, they probably don't know each other, but at least that way I can try to figure something out. So I... I text the doctor 
and say, are you working? And the text comes back and says, I got her. And I'm like, this is all like that. And I'm still in the parking lot. I pull up, walk in. She's, the doctor's waiting for me. She's like, I got her, doom, doom, all this. And then when I walk in the room, the nurse that's in the room was in the circle praying in the front just 10 minutes earlier when we were gathered around the family. Now here's what I'm trying to tell you. Only God can compose that. And here's the thing. I don't even think these two people know each other. And so I'm sitting there like all this stuff happened just instantaneously. And so I look at the doctor and I say, I'm like, how did you know? She goes, I recognized her. See, God composes the body. And he operates in the composition of the body. In these ways. And he puts all these things together around us all the time. And all the time, if we're not careful, we, we miss this if, we don't, if we're not paying attention. you you got, you got to understand something. When, you're, when, you, when you wake up in the morning and suddenly you're thinking about somebody in your, in your community group, you better act on that right then and on. You better act. The Spirit of God is telling you something. When you're driving down the road and all of a sudden, boom, something comes to your mind. This happens all the time. All the time. God composes the body. And he's putting all these pieces. And and listen to me. Remember, this is so important. That every member is gifted. And gifts, all your spiritual gifts are discovered through opportunity, and they're grown in faithfulness. And you have to understand this. You can't discover them outside of community. You might have an idea of what they are. You might do some study, take a spiritual gifts test, do all that. You can't verify anything. You can't go home and verify your spiritual gifts. That's impossible. It's impossible. It can only happen in the context of the body. And so what it is, is it's, it's, we discovered an opportunity. Well, the opportunity comes in the context of the body. you got to move. you got to be sensitive to what's going on. So number one, we're united by one spirit. Number two, into one body. Number three, on one mission. On one mission. Verse 28. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, help, administration, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, Paul says? Are they? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Beware the temptation of the enemy over the next couple, I would say maybe three to four weeks in this church 
The enemy's going to try to hang so many of you up. Right here. He's going to get you tangled up in gift envy, and you're going to miss everything. Better be careful. Don't come to the table thinking you already got the menu worked out. You're going to starve to death. You'll starve to death. You better come to the table willing to eat whatever the Father puts down. And then you will be nourished beyond belief. A spiritual gift is Jesus pursuing his mission through the members of his church. That is what it is. That's what a gift is. So every time Jesus did something, what he was illustrating to his disciples, what he was illustrating to me and you was this principle. He was relying upon the Spirit because he knew that that's what we were going to do, that that's how this is going to work. And he was teaching them to do the same, and he's trying to get us to see. Pursuing his mission through the members of his church So you think to yourself, are you this morning, are you feeling dissatisfied or anxious, depleted, maybe a little bit desperate, maybe just discontent? When you find yourself in that place, Here's what you know. You know that your, your present circumstances of life are simply not working. It's just not working. And there's a longing for something more, something different, something deeper, something real. But you're not sure what it is. You may not even be able to put it into words. But you've seemed to discover this inner thirst that can't be quenched by the outward circumstances of your life or even the outward operation of religious functions. It requires a decision to take a step out of the accustomed and superficial, comfortable, normalcy of your present life. You see what God's called us to. Is a life of pilgrimage. A journey of faith. And on that journey. There are many stops and starts. And ups and downs. There, were, there are times of, of dryness. There are dry seasons and dreary patches. And dark nights. And the old self will always keep trying to pop up. Which is why the need for sharing our burdens with one another as we travel along this way. 
See, fellow members of the body of Christ. That we're in community with. They understand because they're just as scared as we are. They're just as wounded as we are. And they're just as worthwhile as we are. It's impossible to really know what church is apart from pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is the ecosystem of the Christian life. A Christian who is not using their spiritual gifts is like a bird who has never left the nest. But when you're in church, opportunity comes to us like the wind. It blows where it wants. And it prompts us to spread our wings and to jump out. But to a baby bird peering over the edge of that nest, it looks like certain death. It looks like impossibility. But in the same way, when opportunity comes to us in the Spirit, it's going to seem absurd. You're going to be like a bird peering over the nest going, what in the world? Are you out of your mind? You see, the wind blows in our lives and it says things to us like, distribute this meager lunch to this humongous crowd. Or wait with this 120 in this little room or touch the leper or step out of the boat or cast your net on the other side listen it when the wind of opportunity blows in your life the spirit of god it seems absurd what he, what he calls you to do is not going to it's not going to fit into your grid it's not going to just neatly connect on to what you've always thought that's not who he is, and that's not who he works. That's not how he works. He has bigger things in store. And they won't seem big sometimes to you, or they'll seem so big they're impossible. But it's his economy. He composes the body. Each Member, connected, but individual. Unique, but uniformly called. Spiritual gifts are the wings God gives us to fly into the purpose for which he made us. It's what he wants us to do. If someone tries to tell you that it won't be scary, then they've never done it. The only way that you can really know how much bigger he is is when you see and experience what it is he wants to do 
through you. You see, when you, when you first cast yourself out into the wind, it feels like you're going to die. But when you catch flight, you wonder, how did I ever live any other way? That's what he wants for us. Let's stand and bow our heads.